0: Hello and welcome to the Red Rooster Golf Podcast. Alongside company founder Kerry Moher, I am Brad Fritch, former PGA Tour player, current, yet not really playing, Corn Ferry Tour member, and Red Rooster founding partner. Red Rooster Golf. Join us in waking up your golf glove game. You use it on every shot, and yet you don't think about it very often. Learn to manage your glove. Make sure it's there to help you, and change it when it's not. Red Rooster Golf. Wake up, shake up, step up, and give. Kerry, great to see you again, my man. How's everything?
1: Terrific. Fall golf, my favorite, favorite time of the year. Played, had a battle round of golf yesterday. It was like, uh, you know, Probably high 30s raining. You're insane. (laughs) And uh, got out there with uh, my boy Sam Miller. Got to play the Rivermead Club yesterday. Uh, Saw a couple of other sad souls out there. JP Zubek (laughs) was out there.
0: Oh, yeah. JP, we took him to Sawgrass that That's right.
1: Yeah. Yep. Saw him out there. Another sicko. And I got the, uh, put the winter mittens uh, in play. First time wearing those. And just amazing. They're awesome. They, they've got the, it's like a furry inside. Just keep your hands super warm. They're bomb proof. They, you can put the, um, hot pockets in, keep them warm and, uh, water resistant. Amazing. Super happy with them. They even have the, like the, like you can do the wipe the snot from your nose, you know, <laughs> with the, uh, just got the the snot Beautiful. guard. Hopefully they're
0: self-cleaning too. We've thought thought of everything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's not high thirties here in North Carolina. It's, it's been pretty nice. Uh, We're looking at a a pretty fabulous week here actually. And so hopefully I get to get out with a few of uh, a few guys, you know, Steve Cook and another guy that we played with before uh, by the end of the week. And, and uh, I'll try to twist their arms. I'll show them the cockpit and see if they want to uh, dabble in that. They have the glove compartment, but I'm going to make the hard sell. Go for it. Yeah. Um, well, on today's episode, we have a very special guest. He buried about a 12 foot putt on the 72nd hole in Evansville, Indiana, at Victoria National Golf Club, uh, the final event of the Corn Ferry Tour season. He buried that putt for par and got his PGA Tour card for next year. Uh, Roger Sloan, born in Calgary, Alberta, grew up in Merritt, BC, and now living in the States, but he's, uh, he's had a long career in pro golf. I think it started in 2010. If I'm remember correctly, we'll figure that part out. Um, so 13 years already, this will be his fifth or sixth year on the PGA sixth. tour coming up sixth. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm excited to see what he, what he has to say about that tournament, his year where he won an event on the corn Ferry tour and how he kind of transitioned from a disappointing year on the PGA tour to, uh, the Corn Fairy Tour, resetting, trying to get his card back, and especially how he felt uh, over that putt on 18 at Victoria National. I, I don't think I've had a putt before where it was make-miss, Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour. Mine was always, hey, finish 25th in this tournament, you're fine. Uh, so I want to hear what he has to say. He's, he's had a kind of a long career in pro golf so far. I think he's 36 or seven right now. So, um, he's got a lot of years left. So let's talk to Roger Sloan, 2024 PGA tour member. Roger man. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you bet. So, um, we'll start with the latest news. You got your PGA tour card back a couple of weeks ago in Evansville, Indiana, Uh, how did you feel over that 12-foot putt on the 72nd hole that in your mind probably may or may not have uh, promoted you to the PGA Tour?
2: Uh, I would say complete calmness. Uh, Yeah. I knew I I I had to make it. Um, In the middle of the fairway, I had no idea where I stood. It took me a while to kind of figure out what I wanted to do because I figured I needed to make birdie to get in. I thought I was actually on the outside. And it was just a sticky number. I'm like, man, seven iron just puts me on the green, but puts, puts me 30, 40 feet away. Uh, I need to have a little bit better look than that. So I got to hit a six iron, but a six iron brings, you know, just long into play. And if it goes long, it goes in the water. Brad, you've obviously played that golf course. You know that that sucker pin back there. Yep. Um, have the experience back there. I've seen it played a lot. So I'm like, I got to hit a chippy six. in the last minute I bailed on it because I didn't want to hit it long. And then when I got up there, I looked at the projections, and I was 30th. I'm like, oh, great. Now i got to get it up (laughs) and down. And I told my caddy in the middle of the fairway, I said, "Uh, man, I really wish I knew where I stood, because if I knew par was good enough, I would just dump a 7-iron there in the front middle of the green and give myself that 30, 40-foot two-putt.
0: So take the listeners back. When was the last time you looked at a scoreboard before the 18th green?
2: They did it. I, th- I mean, they didn't do a very good job of putting leaderboards out there considering what's on the line. I think it was probably 15 fairway. Okay. And I didn't I didn't see where I, I stood at all. Like, I, I didn't know. I, I So I, I didn't have any idea. I had no idea. I knew that if I was, and at the time I was at seven under, I had a feeling that I was probably good at seven under, but then I three putted 16. And I'm like, I don't know where that put me in the tournament, you know, because like. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it's <laughs> you've also played that golf course. Those aren't the, really the closing holes you want to have your PGA Tour card on the line.
0: <laughs> no, so Kerry hasn't played there, to my knowledge. I've played a few events there, and I could just describe it as PGA West Stadium course on steroids. Like, it's a it's a new and improved version of it, the closing holes, where you can't just hit a hybrid off the tee like you can at PGA West nowadays. It's a little bit shorter by modern standards. Victoria National, uh, 15, you've got to drive it in a thimble, and then you're hitting downhill over over water to a par 5 green. 16, if they play it at the back, it's the hardest par 3 I think I've ever played. There's water basically off the left fringe, water front right, very small green. 17's a little bit of a reprieve, but it's still a good whole dogleg right with water down the right and then 18 i think anyone who's watched corn Ferry tour events has got that dramatic downhill tee shot uh water right uh, yeah. over the years we've seen a couple of questionable drops uh yeah. you know what a uh, ball you know where did it cross last and guys lives are on the line basically or, or at least their uh their future is on the line and so they they want to they want to get every advantage that they can, I guess you could say. Um, so all that to say, yes, those are the holes you don't want to play uh, with your livelihood on the line for the next year. Uh, but you did it, man. And that's that's awesome because uh, you've been kind of you've been the tweener, right? You've been Corn Tour, PGA Tour, back and forth, and you've had some really nice years on the PGA Tour. Uh, what did this year entail before you won in Utah in August? What, what did, what was your outlook on the year? Let's say in July, as you were moving through the corn Ferry tour season.
2: I think there's a couple key things for my year this year. You know, I'd spent the previous four years on the PGA tour. You kind of get used to the privileges of that tour. And then, uh, you come down to the corn Ferry tour. And it is a night and day difference between the two tours. Um, And I've seen a lot of guys come down and they just have miserable attitudes. They, you know, it's just, it's constant complaints about how bad the tour is in comparison. Uh, So I took an early stance that, you know, this is where I'm playing and I need to accept it. I didn't play very well last year and I earned a spot on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um. Corn Ferry Tour is an interesting place because there's a lot of guys that are like, oh, I hate being down here. And there's a lot of there's a lot of young guys. that are like, are you kidding me? This is this is awesome being out here.
0: Yeah. First time. It's the highest they've ever played. Right. Exactly. A, lot so a
2: lot of those guys tend to play really well because their attitude, their outlook on it. And so for me, it was, um, you know what? I'm not going to do the locker rooms. I'm not going to do the player dining. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to play golf every single day. That's yeah. I don't care about anything other than the golf course that I'm playing that particular day. Interesting. Um,
0: and, and that's a change,
2: <clears throat> Roger? From that's the- a little bit of a change. Um, I'll, I'll probably actually continue to do that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, you obviously, you know, Brad, you, you know, the experience out on the Corn fair Tour, especially to start the year. There's so many tournaments out there that don't have locker rooms. So it was just kind of more like routine to just use the back of your trunk or whatever is, you know, that's where you put your shoes on and stuff like that. So I just kind of committed to that. You know, I would walk into player dining every once in a while and have a meal, but for the you know for the breakfasts. But for the most part, I was having lunches elsewhere, and I just, you know, I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I was always in that or had that temptation to compare. Um, What really mattered was I just show up. I think the second part was that I played so poorly last year on the PGA Tour that this year was a little bit of a wake up. I would say it was, um, you know, just a, a recommitment year just rebuilding all of the blocks that made me successful in years past. Um, I probably got a little bit, um, just a little bit lackadaisical in my intentionality when it came to practicing. And there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of laziness, you know, the golf game's in a good place. Obviously I have a growing family, so it's very easy to take my attention away from what I need to do, apply it to the family. Um, You know, it's just, so this year it was just kind of like recommit ourselves. What is our identity? What are the things that I need to work on to get myself to be the best that I can be? And the biggest thing for me was going forward on the corn fairy schedules. I wanted to play well the second half of the year. So I knew that if I committed myself early on, there was going to be a lot of growing pains. I actually saw signs of some really good success early on. I didn't have immediate results, but I had a lot of good rounds. I was making a lot of birdies, a lot of stats were starting to improve. Um, and so that gave me encouragement that we were on the right path. And so I just knew if I stayed committed to that, the second half was going to start to kind of have some favorable outcomes. And, you know, we end up in Utah and out of nowhere, I just decided to make a mitt full of birdies and eagles that week. And, uh, you know, I got a little hardware for that. And it kind of changed the course of our year. It, you know, And uh, we had a lot of it, you know, and I just had a lot more confidence and I could kind of rely on that going, going forward.
0: So the last, a couple of events on the corn fairy tour are playoff events and I believe they, they kind of cut down the fields. Do they not?
2: That's a kind of a touchy subject. Um, there's no like hard, the, the last one is the only one that has a hard number being 75. So all of the okay. other ones are full fields. Like, so the first one was 156 guys, but it's the 156 guys that commit. So there was guys that were like 168 on the points list getting into that event. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. I mean, it's obviously the first year and they're not going to get it right. But you go to Boise and you have 156 guys and the last guy in the field really essentially only had to make one cut all year. It doesn't put a lot of... um, It just doesn't reward the regular season for the guys that that are playing well. That somebody can just make one cut and then they have the opportunity to play for elevated purse, more points um so I, I hope that they can make some changes in that because you got to reward the guy i would like to see a firm um field size too because it adds to a little bit more drama over those four weeks there was there was none of that drama because you know a guy was sitting there at 144 in boise he's clearly safe because 155 guys got into the 144 man field the next week so the field sizes were just a little bit too large i, I felt um so you start you start the
0: playoffs in boise is that correct?
2: Boise, 156 guys. Then okay, it went so to Nashville. That's a golf
0: course. That's a golf course that it's it's very old. It's got some par fives you can reach. Uh, very narrow fairways, but it's a scoring fest. You right, have par
2: fives on that golf course.
0: <laughs> and then you go to Nashville, The Grove, which I was actually there for a day um, doing the uh, pro am. Uh, glove fitting for the Tennessee Golf Association. And that golf course looked amazing. Tell us about the Grove in Tennessee.
2: The Grove is a cool little community. Um, relatively new, I guess. Golf course was solid. Uh, it's Bermuda. It's at the time of year where the greens start to uh, go into dormancy. I was really impressed that week because it you had to think a, around the golf course a little bit. The Corn Fairy Tour is, you know, it's funny that I prepared, you know, there's this, term they use it prepares you for the pga tour that tour does not prepare you for the pga tour it is you know it, it's just the <laughs> it's a vessel right that that 30 guys now graduate from um the golf courses are they're you get 142 yards you hit it 142 yards at the stick. um grove all of a sudden you start having to go whoa these greens are a little bit firm i got 142 where do i gotta land this because you know we got some ridges and they started putting some pins and some in some places that you had to just think about a little bit more um it's a good golf course with the sense that you got to drive the ball well there good par threes that's what i was really impressed with there was just solid par threes um yeah really really good event honestly
0: and then you move to Columbus, which is my absolute nemesis golf course. If I ever broke par there, I don't remember uh, the Scarlet Course, uh, Jack Nicholas design. Um, all of a sudden, you're playing golf courses that do prepare you for the PGA Tour the next three weeks, right? So it's kind of a different change. I wonder if that. I wonder if that kind of. Um, I don't know how to say it. That fact kind of affects the way that guys play, like all of a sudden you're moving from birdie fest, minus 25 wins. You want to think of 23 under in, in Utah, all of a sudden, you know, 10 under in Columbus is amazing, I think. And I I don't know the winning score, but gosh, it's, it's such a different venue than a typical corn ferry tour course.
2: I think it was nice this year. So the last several years that Columbus event has been about three to four weeks earlier in the schedule. And so they're still in that summer heat. They're still getting a, a decent amount of rain. And so I've seen 16, 17, 18 under win that tournament recently. And from when I first was out there and obviously when you were out there, it was a mid-September event that the ground gets so firm those greens are so undulated and you just have to play a completely different style of golf to, to, I would say that it's probably just as demanding as anything I've ever played on the PGA tour. Wow. Um, and it's not overly long. I wouldn't say that it's a long golf course. You can get to all the par fives in, in two. There's nothing out there that I'm like, wow, that's super long. You just have to think your way around that golf course. And it's one of those golf courses that if you, if you don't make that birdie on the par five, you maybe you, you press on the next hole and you try to get aggressive and those bunkers are so deep. I mean, you miss greens out there. It's very difficult to get up and down. Um, I was really looking forward to that event because I knew that the guys playing and it was a unique situation this year because nobody from the PGA Tour is coming down into those fields. Right. So most of the guys playing in in Columbus that was the first time they'd seen that golf course that was the first time that they were going to experience golf like that Uh, so that really helped me I just knew that I just needed to play extremely patient I just needed to pick apart that golf course just hit it in the middle of the greens hit your two putts and carry on and I I didn't have a very good I didn't have my I probably had my C game that week and to your point Brad like I've never finished under par there I haven't even come close and then this year I was just—I was honestly able to manage myself around there so well and shoot one under par for the week. Finished 18th, uh, but it was just a testament to like I just played that golf course way more patiently and conservative than anybody else did. And uh, take your bogeys—you're gonna miss a green. Take your bogey. Don't try to get it up and down and bring double into play. You're gonna make—you're gonna hit it close every once in a while or make a putt. So that was really. That, I, I knew that if I just played that style of golf that week, that it, that was going to give me a decent amount of points, to set me up for a, a chance at the tour championship.
0: Yeah, Kerry, go ahead. I've been hogging the uh, questions for Roger.
2: <clears throat> I,
1: I've played the Scarlet course. Uh, I mean, I think it's actually an original um, McKenzie design. <clears throat> and and then Nicholas, because he's a, a you know, Buckeye grad, I know he's – made some changes out there and then i think they've tried to go back so there there's been these ebbs and flows but yeah i found it like impossible um i i i played it with uh with a buckeye grad and i i played the back tees and it just just ate my lunch it's just it's all angles and the bunkers are crazy and the greens are fast and and super undulating but it's interesting roger because like i've you know i've been following you for years and i always see this like you seem to have this incredible, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you had to pick apart that Scarlet course and then <clears throat> to see you just like go off in Utah and just, you know, whatever you you kind of got going there and you just, you took it so deep, it was crazy. Um, so, and, and that's been kind of my experience getting to, to caddy with Brad a few times, you know, getting to see the... Game, the course management and how important that is on, you know, a PJ tour ca- sort of caliber layout versus let's say that, you know, Utah's maybe a, that's more of a stock kind of corn fairy where, you know, you gotta, so how do, how do you free yourself up and, and also like talk us through the, the week in Utah, like you obviously had this game plan, you know, I heard you talk about that mindset coming into this year where you were able to <clears throat> you know, you've been back and forth enough times where maybe if it was your first time down, you're kicking and screaming a little bit. And maybe, you know, you'd learned a little bit about that. And it was interesting to hear what staying out of the, the clubhouses and just staying focused. But what happened in Utah that week? Like, when did you realize, like, maybe that your, your game was there in a sort of special way and know to kind of like, you know, sort of chase that finish and how do you free that up when so many weeks you are playing so conservative because that's what what's rewarded
2: uh utah was an interesting week there was a lot there was just before the week started i remember you know you're on instagram and i'm watching some clips and Scott Fawcett did a clip. He was on some podcasts. You know, for those that aren't familiar with Scott Fawcett, he does the decade golf. And I've done a seminar with, with Scott. Um, he, you know, I'm not 100% sold on his decade golf, but what Scott does better than anybody else is it's analyzed data. Um, he is really good with numbers. Anyways, on this podcast, he, he goes on the PGA Tour, when you go from five feet to eight feet, you lose half a stroke gained which is significant. He's like, and then from eight feet, do you know how far you have to go to lose another half a stroke? He said it's another 23 feet. So it's 31 feet. So it's essentially what he's saying is the statistics say that there's no difference between hitting it from 10 feet. There's essentially no difference from hitting it 10 feet or 30 feet. And it's like, Whoa, are you kidding me? Like how many times do I have a six iron? And it's like, I got to hit this as close as possible. Right? And it's really unique because the, the Utah event, it's just a, it's a birdie fest. There's a lot of short holes, a lot of wedges. You can get to all the par fives very easily in two. You're just going to make a lot of birdies and a lot of eagles. And how many people would go into that week being like, I got to fire at the flagstick. And for me, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to commit to this. And literally on, the, on all the par threes, I just hit it into the middle of the green. And the par fives, that I'm hitting it in two. I mean, I even have an eight iron in, the, in one of them. And I just hit it into the middle of the green. And I ended up pulling it just a little bit and hit it to eight feet and drained the eight-footer for eagle. Um, <laughs> but it, it, but it, it, it happens, right? Like, I literally hit it into the middle of the green, and I was just trying to get the ball in play off the tee to give myself a chance to – and obviously, you can be a little bit more aggressive when you have a 120-yard wedge shot and i just i mean i chipped the ball i can't remember exactly what it was but over a four day stretch i only chipped the ball five times i mean that's unheard of that's that's, awesome i mean it was just and it was a testament to the fact that like it didn't really matter where the pin was the pin just gave me an idea of how far i needed to hit it and then it was okay i just hit it in the middle of the green the greens out there were small enough that you're essentially going to two putt from the middle of the green and then on the shorter holes when you hit a good drive down there and you could be aggressive to the pins. And And my wedge play is one of the strongest parts of my game. So that's a golf course that I don't need to push the golf ball up near the greens where some of those guys really just, you know, they hit it down there. I'm just, I'm going to hit it out there and have my 85 yard wedge shot and I'm going to stick it to these guys. So it was just a weird week that I, that I, I, I listened to that podcast. It was kind of like an epiphany moment. And then on a golf course that would suggest that you have to be more aggressive, I actually played more conservative than anybody else. And uh, I just, I made a mitt full of birdies. It was, it was really, it was really cool to experience that and just kind of like piece all of it together. That's essentially kind of bringing my identity full circle. And I'm a lot more confident in how I play, how I approach, I'm going to do things my way. It's going to, you know, I'm just excited to continue that growth now as I, you know, further my career.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Roger. I've done a couple of of talks with college golf teams and and with some, you know, high-level amateurs around here in North Carolina. And I just tell them that when I was playing my best, my mantra was chances not chipping. So it's not like you know you can't just say, oh, "I'm going to hit a wedge to 6 feet." It doesn't happen that way. You don't do it on purpose every time like the average, you know, pitching wedge on tour is probably 21 or 22 feet so the the chances of you hitting it to six or eight feet is pretty low but if you give yourself 18 times from 20 feet you'll probably make about three or four of them and of course you have par fives where you can get it up and down for birdie i guess my point is you can't force a low score you have to create opportunity for it but it's not like you can go and you know wedge from 85 yards like you said you're not going to wedge that inside you know, 100% make every single time. That's 100% make is what three, four, or five feet. Um, you're not going to do that. But if you give yourself opportunities mm-hmm. for 18 holes and 72 holes, uh, and you'll pull an eight iron by accident to eight feet and make it, uh, you know, over 72 holes, that gives you a really good chance to score. But I bet you that the guys who didn't play as well as you probably missed one or two greens by being too aggressive going for the short side instead of the, instead of the center, fat side of the green, whatever that may be. Um, that's great. Like you, you took a, a low scoring course and kind of, you brought it to its knees by doing almost the exact opposite of what most of the other guys were doing, which is kind of cool. And it's kind of cool too, that you recognize like, Hey, that's might be who I am going forward you might have known that before but there's nothing like a win to tell you that uh, you're good enough and that you can win anywhere unlike in colombia i have to bring this up where anyone can win um i have to tell the story carrie yes Jeez. please, do. please do. <laughs> so it's 2016 uh roger and his wife and i were sitting in mexico in leon mexico clubhouse it was uh we had a week off between events so this is two weeks after I won in Colombia. And the event in Cartagena, Colombia, the wind blows 40 miles an hour every day, all day. It's insane. And Roger and I were just talking back and forth about how good the golf course was in Leon, in Mexico. Like you had to strike it well, you had to play so well to shoot a good score. And out of his mouth comes, Yeah, anyone can win in Colombia. Like that's kind of just a toss up. But, and his wife kind of hits him on the knee. And I'm like, Dude. He's like, "Oh no 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 no! I, I didn't mean it that way." <laughs> so good, I've waited seven years for
2: this. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, we're holding on to something, aren't we?
0: Yes, yes, I have. No, um, no, but that—that's super cool that you that you kind of took that mindset and brought it to a course where normally most guys would just say, "All right, flag hunting all day every day." Um, how would you apply that? <sighs> You know, the PJ Tour, the golf courses are so much more difficult, but there are some weeks where you can, you know, you need to go low. I think of, you know, Hawaii, you have to go low. John Deere, courses like that. Will you maintain the same type of attitude at those golf courses? As yeah, well? because
2: I don't think, I don't think it's you have to go low. I think those golf courses just, um, they, they yield themselves to a lot of birdies, right? It's, they're, they're soft around the edges. There's forgiveness, uh just what you're hitting on what it allows you to hit off the tee allows a lot of opportunities for birdies. Those greens too, you can make a lot of putts on on those those greens out there in Honolulu. You know the same thing with Palm Springs, right? Like, wow, I gotta make a a lot of birdies. It's like, no, no, no. Those golf courses yield a lot of birdies. You could I mean you just play the par fives under par out there, you're gonna be in the top ten. Like, or if you just if you birdie every par five, sorry, which you can, you can get to every single par five that you play that weekend too. So the gol- you know, my mentality is the golf course yields those lower scores. You don't have to go out there and do anything. Um, I think the trick to golf is you just you have to eliminate bogeys. Scott Fawcett said it great. He was like, you know, in when you look at Tiger from, I think it was two thousand to two thousand one. In two thousand, his stroke average was whatever it was, sixty eight point five, with a with a whatever birdie average. In 2001, his birdie average went down, but his scoring average also went down. You're like, well, how does that happen? It was because he figured it out. You make less bogeys, you win more golf tournaments. Right? Yeah, if
0: you if you look at the stats, I wouldn't imagine that the top 100 guys have anything more than one or 1. 1.2 birdies between them, right? Number one and number 100 you know, they probably average you're between point yeah. nine Everybody and five point one
2: birdies. Yeah, everyone okay.
0: makes birdies. It's who can make the least number of bogeys. How do you achieve that? So uh, for you're me, going forward
2: record. to answer your question, it's like I, I'm not too concerned about the birdies. The golf courses yield the birdies. It's about it's managing. You know, when you look at it like when you really look at when when do you make bogeys? It's usually when you're trying to force something. It's when you got a sticky number and you you know. You don't. You're not gonna make too many bogeys with a um, with a stock driving range seven iron. It just doesn't happen. You're gonna hit it fairly decent, right? Um, what happens is, oh, I you know, I'm in between. Maybe I'm gonna gas this a little bit, and then you don't hit it really well. Or I'm gonna take some off of this, and I didn't hit it really well. And it's like, you know what? Why do not you hit that flush seven iron to 40 feet and two putt? Yep. You don't. And that's that's essentially what what I'm starting to build towards and, you know, and it's piecing it all together. I'm a little bit slower learner than some people, um, but, you know, I'm playing practice round with Steve Stricker. This was years ago at the Honda. Honda's got great par threes and he goes, and I'm at, you know, he's asking me how I'm going to hit a few shots in and around the greens. And I'm asking him a few things like how he's going to play the par threes out there. And he goes, Raj, in my entire career, I have aimed for the middle of the green on every single par three. My philosophy is I'm going to hit it close on one of them and I'm going to make a putt on another one, you know, and it's great for, you know, he's obviously a tremendous putter, but I mean, the, the, just the freedom you have in that, that you can step up with a five iron and you're not worried about hitting it close or trying to make birdie. It's just, no, I'm going to hit it into the middle of the green and you know anybody that's played at a high level understands that you know sometimes your brain is just drawn towards the flagstick so even though you're aimed in the middle of the green you just happen to err towards the flag like you're gonna hit it close every once in a while you're gonna miss hit it um towards the flagstick you just what you what you really have to guard yourself against is being aggressive to the flagstick and then hitting it into an area that you brings bogey and double bogey into play so I'm not, I haven't perfected it. Golf cannot be perfected, but what you can do is you can give yourself the best chance for success. And by eliminating as many big numbers and bogeys as possible, I think that's going to give us a pretty good chance to have success this next few years. So your next couple of months entails what?
0: Like this is the first time in many years that you wouldn't be in you know the the Safeway in California or Mississippi or, or whatever the the fall
2: events are. You don't have a fall season, right? No, like last year I didn't have a fall season because I lost my card. But you know you're chasing the last half of the PGA Tour year, putting so much pressure on yourself, chasing results. Then you go into those four those finals events on the Corn Ferry Tour to try to get your card back. And as soon as that was done, it was just like I, you know, just. I went into hibernation, you know, it was just, wow. I don't even want to touch a club for, for a while. Whereas now there's been a decent amount of gaps in our, in the schedule on the corn Ferry tour to where I don't, I don't feel like I need to get away from it. Like I played last week, I'll play this week a little bit. So I'm looking forward to a couple months of an actual off season where we can put some work into the game. We can be intentional about what we're doing uh, both off the course and on the course uh, give ourselves the best chance that when we come to Hawaii, we're, we're that much better than we were this year.
1: Roger, why don't you take us back through like, you know, coming up, you know, I you know you, you, you went to UTEP and talk us through, like, when did you kind of, you know, I think you got your start on the PJ tour Canada. When did you kind of know, like, you know, Hey, I think, you know, was it in college where you were like, Hey, I'm playing against some guys who've got their cards and I feel like I can make a go of it. Was it a, like, I don't know, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, at what point did you realize, like, I can compete, I can, this is something I can do for a living. I, I can make it to the PJ tour.
2: I think since a very young age, I've always had a very strong belief in that I can do whatever I put my mind to so you know from an early age i played hockey and i was a great hockey player and i had dreams of stanley cups and gold medals and there's no doubt in my mind that if i continued that path i'd be there um you have to obviously be realistic too like i'm not six foot eight i'm not going to go into the nba and say i'm going to be the next nba superstar but um you know given what i've what i have like that was a realistic goal to to get to the nhl and do that and for some reason when i was 16 You know, well, one, I I was six foot two and 140 pounds, and you're about to go to some of these junior camps at 16, and you're you know you're gonna get sent through the third row by some (laughs) 20 year old, right? Like I was just, I was a, I was a Chesson Hadley out there, Uh, (laughs) waiting to get derailed. You know, I, I hadn't filled out yet, so that's I think one of the reasons that I chose golf, and among other reasons, I really loved golf. Um, loved the challenge of it. I loved the independence of it. You know, if you shot 67. You got the accolades if you shot, you know, seventy nine. Well, you know, you didn't have anybody to bail you out. You, you're out there all on your own. Um, I had a terrible amateur career, terrible college career. It wasn't very good, but I, I had a obviously a, a strong self belief. I knew what my potential was. When I graduated college, I knew I wanted to give myself a chance to play professionally. Uh, not knowing really what that entailed, uh, I started working with my current swing coach we developed you know i was i was raw i never really worked with anybody i had a head pro at my local nine hole golf course gave you the basics right here's your grip here's your stance and he gave me the freedom and flexibility he knew i was the type of guy that just needed to go on the golf course and self-discover and that's learned you know that's how i learned how to score that's how i learned how to hit shots and how to go low and how to make lots of birdies and you know how to make three bucks to afford the hot dog at the turn um when i turned pro i yeah i i was unsuccessful my first attempt at q school for pj tour canada Okay, and i tried to do a few monday qualifiers for it unsuccessful blowing through some cash uh i monday qualified for the last event that i was that i had kind of budgeted for it was in saskatoon and uh missed the cut but i got some valuable experience i went back for the next two months and kind of practiced and prepared myself for the fall q school and i remember i eagled the last hole to get the very last card wow wow um, my dad was caddying for me so it was kind of a cool experience we start the next year and I was in, at Uplands. That's what it was. It was in Uplands, the times colonist in Victoria, and it was the final round. It was raining, and I shot a course record 61. I hold out from the fairway twice. Um, <laughs> you and, can't chart that, can you? No, so, and it was, it was great. So I'd been working on some wedge numbers. I'd been working in five-yard increments, a 95, a 90, and an 85-yard shot. And the first one, I needed to land at 95, Boom in the hole, and then the next one I needed to land at eighty five boom in the hole so it was like it was like it was immediate like like wow, you worked on these shots and they went in i mean uh but i I finished fourth that week and it was and I shot sixty one and you know I was always really i I had the potential and I could shoot two three under I could make seven or eight birdies in a round, but I would also have a ton of others. And I would shoot sixty nine. I would shoot seventy. So there was so much potential there, and that was really the first time in a tournament round I shot less than sixty six, and it was sixty one. And it was like, it takes it takes it takes a special golfer to to get that far under par and close out the round. And I was able to do it, so I was able like, okay, I have it. Like I know I have it. So just keep keep on keeping on. That was in my first year on the Canadian Tour. Didn't really play well the rest. Year. Yeah, that one was like, whoa, okay, the things that me and my coach are working on. I mean, I, this is great. I went out the next year, my second year, I won very early on. I got an exempt, you know, I was top three, got the exemption to the Canadian Open. So now, my second year as a pro, I'm playing my first PJ Tour event. And when I was out there, I was just like, you just had this, like, I was deer in headlights. I got absolutely creamed by, um, Shaughnessy, like I <laughs> <it> poured me <laughs> up, but yeah. looking around, there was that calmness. It was like, Yep, I know it. I'm gonna be out here, and uh, it was just a commitment to the process, just stay committed, keep going. In 2015, we were, we were rookie on the PGA tour, so you know, so cool. I
0: remember Roger playing the same event uh, in Kamloops, British Columbia, the one that you won on the Canadian tour that year, I think it was 2011 yeah is that right yep and uh i had my group crew of guys you probably remember them and we didn't know who you were and i think you led pretty much wire to wire very close i don't think you snuck up on the leaderboard on saturday or sunday i think you were no, I, ahead yeah, the, was, whole had the whole yeah. time yeah and we're like who is this guy what's going on we've never heard of him and my group of friends like we had been out there for a while so we pretty much knew of everybody and uh the flowing locks of this guy, Roger Sloan were on full display. And I think he won by three, which at that golf course, there wasn't much to separate guys out there. So winning by three was pretty darn good. Yeah. Over Stewie. Stew Anderson. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You won, which had to be incredibly difficult, uh, a web.com tour event in Canada. Mm -hmm. You won in a playoff. Is that right?
2: Uh, I, yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. At Ashburn in, uh, just outside of Halifax, Nova yep. Scotia.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how, how did you feel? Cause you hadn't played on the PGA tour yet, nope. but you're in front of Canadians, uh, trying to win and most likely secure your card and go to the PGA tour the next year. How did that, how, how, how would you compare that? How you felt that day versus a couple weeks ago in Indiana?
2: Uh, it's, it's vastly different, you know, again, i just incremental, incremental steps in my career and, you know, looking back at it, uh, I had the hottest putter ever when I was in Nova Scotia and one, I mean, I was making everything and, uh, that's a great feeling. Oh, it was, I mean, it, I mean, I was putting into a bathtub. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was just, it was incredible um that year was actually a unique year because the saturday was canceled because of that the hurricane that went through mm. and so it was actually i i loved it because it was like you play two days and then you get a day off and then you go play 36 and finish the golf tournament it was, I, I loved it it was great um it was i, I just wasn't prepared back then you know it, it kind of it, it snuck up on me a little bit I, I i didn't at the time think i was good enough to win on that tour and I beat Derek Fathauer in a playoff, and it was like boom, just immediately vaulted me up to like ten or eleven on the money list at the time. And I played horribly for the for the remainder of the year because a PJ Tour card is literally just like dangling in front of your head. It was like, gosh, if you make like eight thousand more dollars or ten thousand more dollars, like it's secure. So the rest of the year, I just finished sixty fifth every time because I put <laughs> so much pressure on myself to to do it that particular week. And I went into the Portland event twenty. What was I? 23rd on the money list. I was like, man, okay, you didn't make the cut. Just put up a little bit of money. You'll be good. I missed the cut. And that was the longest 48 hours of my life. Cause you're sitting there with, with the hopes of getting to the PGA tour, you know, and you're, you know, you go from 23rd to 29 to 27 to 26 down to 28. And then just as things kind of transpired on on, on Sunday, I fin I end up finishing 24th. Um, those projections are always so difficult because you know, as as the week goes on, you know, the field separates a little bit, right? There's not as many people tied for six, or as many people tied for twelfth as there is on Friday or Saturday. And so as the separation goes, the points distribute differently. But we finished 24th and got out on the PGA tour. And you you compare that to now where I was in Indiana going in as 31 and it's night and day different. You know, it's, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to take care of. I know how things are going to shake themselves out during the week. I know that I just got to take care of my own business and just go commit to being methodical of how I approach the golf course. Um, I didn't have my best stuff, but shoot, we finished top 10 and that was just a testament to, you know, a lot of different, a lot of different aspects, um, that I'm very thankful for, but vastly different than where I was in 2015.
0: Yeah. I have an aunt who early on in my, uh, career, you know, missed a cut played, finished 50th, missed a cut. She said, man, it's all mileage. Like it's all mileage on the tire. You know, you'll learn. And it sounds like that you, uh, have learned quite a bit over your career. Shoot. What we're talking about 2014 nova scotia that's nine years ago yeah so you've you've probably played what 180 to 200 tournaments since then and yeah. that was always my goal was to kind of break it down into what will i learn about myself in the next 50 events that i can apply to the next 50 after that like it's just like you said the, the game can't be perfected um, and
2: it's not always like um like consciously, you're not always consciously aware of what you're learning too, right? A lot of it is subconsciously. Um, So it's not like you can sit there and write down everything. This is what I learned in the 50 events. You can do a little bit of that, but it's just, it's constant growth, just like being a dad or just like, you know, being an accountant or whatever it is. It's just, you get more used to that routine or that, you know, whatever you're doing. I wanted to throw out probably... I don't know if it would be
0: the highlight of your PGA tour career, but it had the potential to be the best golf day of your life was the 20, uh, 2021 Wyndham championship. You were in a playoff, yeah. uh, at Sedgefield where I've had some great memories there, six man playoff. And I want to read the names out of those who are in the playoff. Brendan Grace, Siwoo Kim, Kevin Kisner, Kevin Na, Adam Scott.
2: Yeah. And then like that, just like that's it a, you and all your homeboys in Camloops, who's that? That, Roger that, <laughs> that
0: is a hammer time of PGA Tour players. Lots of wins, uh, yep. a major. Um, Kisner is the ultimate bulldog. How'd you feel on that? How'd you feel on
2: that tee in the playoff? I was as calm as I've ever been. I was as loose as a goose, and it was funny because I'm looking at these other guys. I mean, they're fidgety. Like Kevin Na was as fidgety as I've ever seen, and I played well, with him the whole day. He fidgets in his sleep, though. That's the thing. Um, but it had you know he was just and everybody was quiet and uptight. And you saw it on the first playoff hole. I mean, it was just me and Adam Scott were the only guys that hit the green in regulation. Everybody else was boom Like it was and we all had to hit the fairway. It was insane. Um, but to start that week, I think I was 131st, 133rd going into the FedEx Cup play or with the FedEx Cup standing. So I needed a whatever it was, solo nineteenth to lock my tour card up. That's a lot of pressure. Um and I was three over through eleven holes on Thursday. Wow. And it was like, okay, I guess I'm in the 126 to 150 category. I'll still get a handful of starts. And I just kinda like let loose a little bit and I made a couple birdies coming in, finished at one over. Um you're obvious I finished on nine. This is a funny story hole nine um i play that hole quite aggressively i hit driver off the tee there just to get it up over that bunker Mm -hmm. there's that road that goes up the right that's out of bounds well i had gotten a couple birdies i'm at one over i'm feeling pretty good and i chicken wing a driver way to the right and it's cruising over there i'm like oh my goodness it's i mean it's out of bounds right like it landed 20 yards out of bounds and you hear this big clunk we go up there. Somebody had parked a maintenance cart on the road. Okay. And it hits in the bed of the maintenance cart and bounces back onto the golf course. I wedge it. I have nothing. Cause there's trees over there. I wedge it 50 yards up the Hill. I have about a hundred yards and I hit the hundred yard wedge shot to about eight inches and tap in for par. Crazy.
1: This is the Thursday round.
2: This is the Thursday round. I then go in and I shoot six under on Friday. I shoot six under on Saturday and I shoot four under on on Sunday and I get myself into the playoff. And it wasn't as easy as that. The I don't really remember a whole lot about the the Friday and Saturday. I just remember I just, I had it going. And on Sunday I'm T4 going into it going, okay, I just anything under par today. And I lock my card up. My only objective. And, and if you remember Russell Henley was like five or six strokes ahead of everybody. Yeah. So yep. It wasn't really like I was in a position to win. I like, I, I, I think everybody thought Russell was just going to walk away with it. Well, I remember sitting on the, um, what was it, the 14th, the 14th tee box. We had to wait for a ruling on the tee box. And there's a massive scoreboard sitting right there. And I'm not looking at any scoreboards throughout the day. And I happened to see that Nick Taylor shot whatever it was, four or five under at the, at the time. And he's T13, okay, and he would have been 10 under par. And I'm 12 under par at the time. And I'm like, oh man, like, oh, there's obviously a bunch of guys at T13. So I'm like, if I make two bogeys, I don't keep my card. Okay. And I didn't know this at the time, but if I make two birdies, I'm tied for the lead. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, the magnitude of that is so heavy that it's like, I can't even process this right now. So all I, it just, it, it basically simplifies everything. There is only one thing that I can do and it's feel the shot that I'm about to hit. And I hit a great drive. They've lengthened that 14th hole now to where it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a driver. And and I hit a four iron in there really, really nicely. I end up birdieing, um, 16. They put the pin in that bowl and I ended up making a nice putt. I hit an eight iron into 17 to about three feet and I drained that. And all of a sudden Kisner's not talking to me anymore. (laughs) And Kisner was great because he knew what was on the line. Every single time I made a putt the whole day, he was like, good putt, good putt. You know, you, those greens are so fast out there that you hit yeah. a good putt, it's going to go four feet past. And So I'm draining four footers all the time. And he, and he was very like encouraging, good putt, good putt, like, like going out of his way, right? Because he knew it was on the line. And then all of a sudden on 17, he was. <laughs> and so for me, I had no idea where I stood. And I'm, I'm literally on 18T going, okay, I can make a triple bogey right now and I'm good. Isn't that the golfer way to think about it? It's such a golfer way to like, think about what it. What is the
0: worst possible scenario? And I'm still okay. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> Yeah. So on 18, you know, earlier in the week, I had driven it left. I, I play a fade. So I aim right down that tree line and I faded into the middle of the fairway. I over a little bit into the, into the first cut of the right rough. But at that moment it was just like, whew, I got my tour card locked up. So I hit a six iron onto the green and I'm reading this putt. I got like 80 feet. And pins in the back left. I'm just on the front right of the green, and I'm walking back to my ball, and I see the scoreboard, and it says Kevin Na minus 14, T1. I'm like, huh? I'm like, wait a minute, I'm <laughs> minus 14. <laughs> Holy smokes, I'm T1 right now. I have no freaking idea. Uh, okay. okay, well you better two putt this, right? So I end up two putting. We get in that six man playoff, um, but it, it, it'll the the playoff to me was kind of like whipped cream, you know, it was like I had accomplished my goal for that day. And, um, I wasn't, I probably wasn't in a point where it was like, Hey, it I would be different now. But at that time it was, I, I accomplished my goal and now let's go have some fun with it. And I did, I had, I was as loose as anybody in that playoff. I gave myself two chances to make birdie on both the playoff holes. Um, so I was, I was impressed with how I handled it and, you know, put it in the bank because, uh, you know, that situation is going to, going to come some, some other time. Yeah. hundred
0: percent. That's, that had to be, um, you're not playing like the easiest hole in the world either in that playoff, right? 18 is one of the hardest par fours I'd say, the hardest one of the hardest closing holes I think on the PGA Tour. It's not if you're Adam Scott and you
2: hit driver to the bottom of the hole and hit a pitching wedge in there. Yeah, he I was never able to hit that down to the bottom. I was playing usually... a 6 iron in there and <laughs> he's ripping a pitching wedge to 4 feet. I'm like, "Man, that must be nice."
0: I was usually a 5 or 6 iron, guy, uh, 6 or 7 iron yeah. guy off the down slope, bit, yeah. you know, to the elevated green, but yeah, to to be so in that spot. We were in just... the
2: six man playoff. And I guess Russell Henley had a chance to to make it a seven if it was seven, we were going to go in two groups. but when Russell didn't get into the playoff because he he three putted it was a six of us, and so we decided to go in one group and You don't see it because you know you're kind of obviously you're down you're down the hill for your second shots, but we're down there, and it's mayhem, okay nobody knows who's away. You got caddies yelling at each other one seventy two one fifty six one sixty one and it's like okay it's my turn like and, and it's just mayhem and i don't know what what was obviously shown on tv at the time I And mean, it looks like there's order but it was absolute chaos in the fairway because we had all driven it relatively similar other than adam scott who drove it way down to the bottom of the hill we were all in like a five yard window and it's just pointing and pointing and well this guy's hitting so we got to be quiet and everyone's it was just it was crazy And then that first playoff hole, the fact that all those guys missed them in the location that they did and they all made par is one of the most remarkable things I have (laughs) ever seen. Like Siwoo Kim's up and down from that back left area has to be one of the greatest up and downs I've ever seen. Like it was just utterly insane. Kevin Na chipping it to 20 feet and draining the 20 footer. And it was just, it was insane. These up and downs out of nowhere. And everybody thought they they were done because Adam Scott hit it so close, but.
0: Right. What a memory though. Right. And you get to play it again next year, presumably. And, you know, I, I loved going back to, uh, courses where I would played well, the memories are just, they're so overwhelmingly positive when you can just say, well, I've done this, you know, four or five times, just hit it out there,
2: you know? And, and you know what the. You don't have to think about it. It's, it's almost yeah. like it's your second golf course, right? Yes. Just like, I don't think about it. I know how it plays. I have the feeling. I know where to miss. I
0: got the soft spots.
2: Yeah. When you don't have to stick your head in your yardage
0: book yep. for an entire week at a golf course you know really well, that's a great feeling because they're half the field are, like you said about Columbus, like playing it for the first time, still trying to learn it. So uh, I imagine you're. This will be your, what, fourth or fifth year on the PGA Tour? Sixth. Sixth, sixth year. Awesome. Yep. Uh, I, I just have to imagine that that's such an advantage okay. as, as you move forward and, and keep going. I always heard about, well, the veterans know and the veteran caddies are an asset, which I never really uh, thought that way. But the comfort level of the player playing on golf courses that you play each and every year it's just such a huge um it's a huge advantage in my mind.
2: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, yeah, I, there's a few that I definitely look forward to going back to because of because of success. Um,
1: what are they, Roger? <clears throat> what are some of the venues that you love?
2: Um, Wiley is one of them. Palm Springs is another one. Uh, I, I love the Palm Springs events. I've always loved when Q school was there. The first time I went to Q school, I fell in love with those golf courses. And now that event happens to be on those golf courses. Um, I, I don't know. Palm Springs just is something where I just, I really love that, that, that tournament. I don't traditionally like the, the uh, pro-am portion of it, but I think now that I've had a decent amount of success there, I just, I'm used to it. Um, going through the schedule, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, Sedgefield's there. I've had a lot of success at the 3M. So Minnesota's another one. Detroit. I really like Detroit. Um,
0: is that your other second place was Minneapolis?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was trying to figure that out today.
0: I knew you lost in the playoff at Wyndham. Minneapolis was your second other second oh, place. Oh, no, place. no, I'm sorry.
2: My other second was Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Yeah. Puerto Rico. I've had a couple top tens at, at Minnesota. Okay. Gotcha. Um, john deere i don't know why i like john deere i think that's a good golf course it's fun to play um but then there's also golf courses where you're like man i know that i can be successful at this golf course i just haven't been yet you know and there's there's some golf courses that you just know man you know what that's that's it that's a tough golf course doesn't necessarily suit my eye um it's going to be a you know one of those weeks where a good week maybe is top 25 um and then there's those golf courses that you're, I've ne- haven't had a lot of success on that. I'm just like that golf course is so tailor-made that you just got to get out of your own way and let it happen. And you're going to have a ton of success there.
0: Name them and shame them. Roger.
2: Uh, what- Tori Pines is one of them. Um, I got your back on that one. I'll help you there. Yeah. 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 You've had a lot you've had <laughs> success there. Um, going through this, what is it? Uh, Riviera is another one. um, just going like periodically through, I think um, San Antonio is always one on my radar. That's just like, I drive the golf ball. Well, that's one of my strengths. That's a golf course that I can have a, a good week at. I just never had a good week in San Antonio, but it's, like, felt, it's, it's always felt, one. I'm yeah. like, man, I
0: just want to, I felt the same way. I think the wind always pushed me over the edge there. Cause it can get so windy there and I never handled it well. Yeah. Um, but you are going to
2: get one day where it can blow 30, 30 up there yeah
0: for sure uh how about in how about in houston
2: houston's been kind of all over the map because when i started it was at the golf club of houston or redstone at the time now they've shifted it to memorial shockingly like i haven't gotten into memorial nor nor do they give sponsor exemptions to local guys so i've only played memorial once and i've only played In My five years out there, I think I've only played the Houston Open twice. Mm. Um, So I'm really hoping that's one that now that they've changed it to the spring, I'm interested to see what they're going to do to that golf course, whether they're going to overseed it or how they're going to prepare it, what the field's going to be like. It was kind of more of a it had a really strong field when it was in the fall recently um, wedged in between some of the the masters and some of those elevated events, I don't know what the field is going to be like. So I'm crossing my fingers. I hope I get into it. But, um, you know, those hometown events are very similar to like the Canadian Open. You put a little bit more pressure on yourself to perform and doesn't really always work out in your favor. So, um, you know, those You're are the two. I feel that. that. That's one thing with the Canadian Open. Now that a Canadian has won the Canadian Open, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to allow a lot of the Canadians to play a whole lot better, you know?
0: I think so too. I think the floodgates kind of, you know, we had some near misses guys who played well, shoot. Yeah. The best finishes were either amateurs or guys who weren't even on the PGA tour yet. Adam Hadwin, Jared Dutois. Yeah. like those were kind of the best finishes besides we're all those years Jared ago. says
2: that he's like, I didn't know what I was in. I didn't, I had no idea what, what, yeah. how big it was until after. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Which is, which is funny. How, how could you not be out there all week? Like he's front and center yeah. for 72 holes. But, um, I, I think you're right. I, that'll that kind of, it breaks the seal. And I think it just eases guys minds like, Hey, this can be done. It's not that big a deal, even though it is,
2: but it, it is just, a big deal for sure. But you're not answering those questions. Well, oh, is this yes. the year that a Canadian wins? It's yeah. like, okay, that's done with now. And now, you know what? I can just focus on the golf a little bit Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only a matter you're going to see more Canadians when these Canadians are playing so well right now. And I think the, this is probably a little bit too candid, but I, I, I think the obligations that they, that the Canadians have during the Canadian open week are just a little bit too strenuous on them.
0: I was never that big of a deal. So I didn't have to do any of those, but I could see the top ranked guys get pulled in yeah, multiple directions.
2: Exactly, they have I a was lot just of kind of the add on
0: at the end. Um, I think it's a good idea next year if you maintain the same attitude of staying out of the politics of everything, because you're going to a PGA tour that's vastly different than the one that you played on a couple of years ago, right?
2: Yeah, it's funny. My, my stance on all of that has been. I've just ignored it. Everyone always asks me, like, "What's like, what's your take on the lit? What's your take on this and that?" I'm like, I don't really care. Like, tell me where I play and when I play, and and I take a stance too. I'm very thankful to be on the PGA tour. Very thankful. There's a lot of guys that moved on that were just they got greedy. Like, who's Patrick Reed? Who's Bubba Watson? Without the PGA tour, they're nobody. Yet somehow they think that they are somebody that's entitled to something and they're so, you know, and, and I'm like, well, hold on a second. You are who you are. Your name is who you are because of the PGA tour. Like that, I I think, you know, and that's not to give the PGA tour, you know, the PGA tour does still need to have the accountability to further and better its product for sure. And there's, we can get into this whole argument and all that, but my stance has always been like just, Ignore it. Let it go. Like when the Canadian Open this past year, we had the, that player meeting, right? They had just announced mm. the yep. the PIF or whatever. And uh, the partnership with the PIF and everyone's like, man, you know what? <laughs> Can't, I wish I was in that meeting. Like, let us know or take a video or take a pic or whatnot. And I was like, I'm not going. Like I have no desire to go. Like what's, what's going to be accomplished. People are just going to start yelling and you know, the PG tour is not actually going to tell you what's going on. It can't, you know, it's an entity that can't really give you the full scope of what's going on. That's the, that's how organizations work. Um, so there's no benefit to being in there and elevating your heart rate. And it's just, I'll let, I'll let them do that and let me do my thing. Right.
0: Yeah. I was always um, and I'll, I'll yell it from the rooftops. Like the PGA tour is an amazing place to play. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was nothing better at the time. There's probably still nothing better now. And for guys to kind of act like, like you said, they're entitled to something more. I don't quite, I don't quite get that, that the tour, like tour golf is the aggregation of everybody together. Like one person besides one guy, yeah. um, it, it doesn't matter who they are right like y- you don't have pro hockey wouldn't exist if it was just Connor mcdavid it has to be everybody the yeah. nhl has to be 32 teams of 20 guys
2: You need it third liners just, and fourth liners to yeah you can't just product. be
0: one guy and i understand the focus isn't on the third and fourth liners but they still have to be there
2: but yeah and, exactly. and i
0: guarantee you that they are super thankful to be there like Absolutely, i'll just yeah. over and over like it was awesome PJ tour was awesome to be on. I wish I was there longer. Um, so I think you take that attitude going into next year and all of a sudden you'll find yourself in, in some big events and, and just yeah. keep going That's and going. I,
2: mean, you just, I am, I'm very thankful. Um, very thankful. And it's a good time to be on the PJ tour. They're making some pretty good progress They're They ought to, they got a very good product and, uh, I think it's only going to get better.
1: Roger, <clears throat> what's kind of the biggest change you're going to, bring this year onto the tour, knowing that, you know, the last year you were out there, you sort of said there was kind of a lot going on. Right. And, um, you know, I'm not making any excuses, but it wasn't, wasn't your best year out there. And it sounds like you, you know, you regrouped really well and, and obviously, you know, you were super patient. You let things come to you. You played really well. Um, man, I was so impressed with your finish in Indiana cause that, that up and down was a big deal. Um, and and to know that it was hard to tell when you're watching it to know how much you knew. Just like to hit that pitch shot, like that was tricky, man. That was like a tight lie. You had to land it in a certain spot and you you hit a good shot. It wasn't like a great shot. And then you gave yourself this, this putt and you poured it in. Like as soon as it left the putter, it was in. And you just, there was like you said, you know, there was a calm to it. There was a bit of a maturation that you kind of walked us through there. So what, do you, what are you kind of taking, What what's kind of that big change from, you know, knowing the start of the PJ Tour season, you know, two years ago where, you know, you ended up at the end of the year, you know, losing your card and hadn't, having to regroup. What, what are you going to take out there this coming year that's different?
2: Well, I mean, those boys are in for a real treat cause I got a Canadian caddy now. So I mean, uh-huh. we're just we will more ahead and he's a flames fan. So we're just, I mean, those guys don't stand a chance. <laughs> anybody I know, Roger, uh, Todd Clarkson. I don't know if you,
0: I don't know the name. Okay.
2: Yeah. He's bounced around the European tour for a little bit. He's caddying for Hank Leviota. Okay. He came out here and then he was bouncing around and didn't have anybody. And, um, You know, he's been a really, really good fit for me. It's funny to watch my maturation or the process of a caddy over the years, too. You know, you come out as a young, young kid and it's like you have all these expectations of what a caddy needs to be. It needs to be like bones and telling me where to go and how to do this and do that. Well, I'm a very one of my one of my strengths is thinking through a golf course. Like course management is my strength. I don't need somebody telling me how to manage a golf course. I can figure that out myself, so I don't need that. I'm a very good greens reader, so I don't need somebody to read greens for me. And so over the years, my expectations of what I require out of a caddy have completely shifted. And so now Todd, who's, you know, he's been in some big big tournaments, big big pressure situations, it it's really just somebody out there to clean the clubs and he does a little bit of wind for me, and that's really essentially all I need. And he keeps things light. And that's what I've always needed. Sometimes I I get a little bit too serious. I can get a little bit too much in my head. And, you know, he's just a constant reminder of, hey, this is just golf. You know, there'll be a situation where he's like, hey, you know, we'll be in the 14th fairway. He's like, hey, Roger, I got some notes on this hole. And he'll open up his yardage book and he'll look at it and it says, <laughs> you are dumb. Or it's <laughs> just the most outlandish, stupidest, just to give yourself a laugh, right? Just to yeah. be like, you know, this is just a game. Like we don't need to take it so seriously, or, um, or "I hate you," or whatever he says on these little notes. It's, it's comic relief, just light. Yeah, how, how long have you been working with him? It, I started working with him a week or two before the Canadian Open this year. Okay. Um, he's been instrumental in just helping me. Just another piece to the puzzle that just really fits in, and I'm in a really good place with that. I think. To be more specific in answering your question, that pot that I drained on eighteen at Evansville, there was a calmness about it. Um, there's certain things that attributed to that calmness. You know, we we talk about the amount, the the scope, the magnitude of the pressure, of the situation. It really just lends itself to the only thing that you can control is the simplicity of it. It's just. I can't control whether this goes in. I can't control what other guys do or where I finish on the leaderboard. It just comes down to make a good read, feel the putt you want to hit and hit it. I, I hadn't hit a good putt the entire back nine. I'd missed every single putt and I had been putting good all week and I was just hitting some poor putts that back nine. And I was just chuckling to myself. I'm like, this would happen. I need to make an eight footer now. (laughs) And I haven't hit a good putt in two hours. And I, and I, and I did, I, you know, said a little prayer. It was just like, Hey, you know, just give me the calmness to just put a good roll on it. That's all I want. Just put a good roll on it. And just standing over it. I put a good read on it. I was confident in the read and I put a really good stroke on it. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was in. And, and I knew that when I hit it, I just knew, I knew that I needed to make that putt. And when it went in, There's maybe a clip of me walking around a little bit, but it was just, I was so overjoyed in the self-satisfaction that I hit that putt. It was greater than going back to the PGA Tour. Going back to the PGA Tour is cool. It didn't matter to me in that moment whether I play next season on the Corn Ferry Tour or whether I played on the PGA Tour. I'm good enough. I'm going to get back to the PGA Tour at some point, but the self-satisfaction I got out of hitting that putt when I needed it most, you can never take that away from me. And that's cool Just to be able to rely on that going forward next year is going to be a pretty cool, cool thing. Cause you know, when I put my mind to it, when I'm focused on the right thing, your attention is where it should be. You know, I'm a pretty good golfer, so I'm excited to continue to work on, on that.
0: Yeah. It, there is a a very deep sense of satisfaction when it's like, well, I either have to do this or I go back, you know, to where ultimately I don't want to be next year and you end up making the putt. Uh, you are indeed headed back to the PGA Tour, Roger Sloan. We can't wait to watch you each and every week. Uh, it's been a treat for us to talk to you. Much appreciated. Uh, are you going to grow your hair out a little bit for the, you know January, or are
2: you going to keep it keep know, it kind of like tight? New look at uh, yeah, but well, we'll see. I mean, it's one of those things too. If you got it, you got it. You, I mean, you feel like if you got the nice hair, you kind of got to grow it, right? <laughs> You have the potential. I
0: I definitely agree with that. Um, Roger, I have one, one more question for you. One one more question.
1: Just, yeah. <clears throat> this is just, this is pure Red Rooster uh, golf, but I'm just, you know, the, the backstory with Brad and I, we played, you know, junior golf together and we got caught up in this boy's trip a couple of years ago where Brad's fully stocked with gloves and <clears throat> I'm using an old one from the previous year, just a bit of a cheapskate. But just walk us through like, what is, you, you know, I noticed, you know, that, that day on that pitch shot, you're wearing the, the Titleist player's glove and w- what are your glove habits? Like, how do you, you know, do you wear a glove for a round or two and what just, it, it, it's helpful, I think for our audience to, to hear like, you know, what a PJ Tour player values in gloves and, and how, how you use them and,
2: and how you handle them and what your kind of expectations are. So I grew up on a nine hole golf course, uh, not a lot of, not a lot of money and some of those same habits still exist. Like we, you know, we get as many gloves as we, as we need, we get as many golf balls as we need. And I'm still the guy that will play with one golf ball for 18 holes. I mean, unless it is truly, truly damaged or has been scuffed by a tree or a cart path or we've hit too many wedge shots. I mean, I will. I'll just I'll play the ball out with the gloves. It's the same thing. It's like I will play the glove until it's too loose, or you know the the holes are starting to come in. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's ingrained in me, right? Like, uh, you know, a lot of guys might go through one or two gloves in a round. Um, I, with that being said, I probably go through two gloves in a week. Okay. Um. And that's just because. I've, uh, you know, you're hitting so many shots and that leather starts to stretch a little bit and it's not, you know, it's a little bit loose. So put on something tight, um, but I'm not, you know, I think that small town kid in me is still exists where I've tried to play as many holes on a golf ball as possible and try to get as many holes in with a glove as I possibly can.
1: But it's great. I mean, like, you know, we often say, you know, we, we did build our gloves to be a a little bit more durable, Mm -hmm. but. You know, put Brad in that camp. It's probably like, you know, a round or two with a glove and you're feeling somewhat guilty, sort of holding on to them. That's the reality, especially with like the player's glove. And the really we do have one tournament glove called the Sussex. And, you know, it is a thinner, softer glove. Um, you know, they don't last more than a couple rounds. Um
2: yeah, especially I, when I they get stretched like, out. There's just so much feel involved with it and there's routine too and you know putting on a glove and then you know if you're having to like stretch it too much it's just it's a different routine so it's like okay i got to get rid of that one because that leather it does stretch a little bit obviously the weather the whatever weather that you're playing in has a huge a significance too you know if you're playing in a dry climate that glove's not gonna last as long it's gonna dry up and get holes in it pretty quick and then you know if you're playing in a really humid climate you know you're putting the glove on but then you're having to stretch the fingers just to get it off your sweaty hands so then you put it on and your finger you get that pinky finger that sticks out there that's the puerto rico glove right yeah exactly so yeah yeah. you know, in those weeks you might go through three or four gloves but uh it's just it's it's such a feel thing right you want you want your hand to just feel like it's not wearing anything and as soon as your hand feels the glove it's gone
0: Yeah. I was the same way with golf balls, Roger. I would see guys change after every birdie. Yeah. They'd switch out. They'd use six or seven balls around. I'm like, this, uh, ball's totally fine. I'm going to use it again.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And then my mentality is like the, you know, the titleist guys or the golf ball guys sit there and they say, yeah, that's scuff That'll affect it. I'm sitting going, I'm not that good to make that. what is that (laughs) half a yard. I mean, I'm not that accurate. Like, come on. (laughs) That's funny.
0: Roger, man. We appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, taking the time out of your day to join us we wish you all the best on the pga tour in 2024 and uh we will be watching good
2: luck to you thanks thanks for having me guys it's been fun thanks roger appreciate it enjoy your your downtime yeah no kidding oh yeah
0: definitely will so that was roger sloan i've known him for a long time not super well like he and i will uh have some meals at events over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, but we never really hung out. It was just like, you know, mutual respect, Canadian golfer type thing. Um, he's always been kind of a, a guy who keeps to himself, wonderful player and his career has extended out way farther than mine, but he was kind of the same deal. Like learn a little bit, have to drop down a level. Then, get back to where he was and then go farther. So he's, he's quite the, uh, I'd say he's a student of, of the game. Cause like you said, or like he said, his, uh, his junior career was not good. Amateur college. So he's fashioned a wonderful career in professional golf for someone who thinks that he, uh, he didn't have much of anything going on into his what early twenties. <clears throat> yeah. Amazing. Like, I don't, I don't
1: remember him kind of being one of those you see most of the of the guys that that uh, especially the top canadian guys they were pretty heralded um juniors and and college players yes and um so it was interesting i just didn't remember that and he kind of corroborated that that uh, but he has this uh this this sort of quiet confidence right what do you what do you like about his game have you ever played with him in a tournament or yeah obviously yep. you know yeah, we've seen him right there.
0: What is it that Roger does really well? We've played quite a bit together. Uh he drives it really straight. He doesn't okay. have except for the ninth hole at the Windham, he doesn't have the foul ball in him. Like he he just doesn't hit it offline that often. And he's a really good wedge player. And I think that's probably to do with his tempo. Like his hands are super soft, his tempo just so good. Yeah. And he has wonderful hair. And I wish we had gotten him to take huge, off his hat it? because his, he had, he had a pretty good mop <laughs> underneath. He's got, he's got high and tight right now on the sides and back, but he's got quite the mop underneath. Yeah. He said, he's had, um, had PGA
1: tour caliber hair for years.
0: Oh yeah. Probably out of the womb most <laughs> likely. Um, but yeah, his, I think one thing that just sticks out to me with him is his tempo. it, it never feels rushed. It's never super fast in transition from backswing to downswing. Um, and he's worked at it, man. Like, like, uh, like we talked about, he's gone back and forth from, corn ferry tour to PGA tours. Had a couple of lean years on the PGA tour. I was looking up his stats, and you know he played twenty events, make seven cuts, make a couple hundred thousand, which in reality is around a hundred eightieth, hundred ninetieth on the points list, and that that drags a guy down. Like mentally, it's hard to to deal with that, to recover from that. So doing that last year and then having the year that he did this year on the corn tour, full credit. It's awesome. And, uh, another Canadian on the PGA tour, which is, which is great. Like he said, it's never been stronger and guys are not only competing to keep their card, they're winning events now. So, um, just another Canadian out there and it's great to see. Yeah. Be neat to see. He's
1: got the new caddy kind of new attitude, but, I've always seen him as a bit of a streaky player. Like when he, when he could go low, you would see these, he, you know, he's been in, um, he'll get those top tens, you know, it seemed like he, you know, he, he could miss a few cuts and then he could be competing for the tournament. And he seemed to have this ability to go low. And then tear his mindset to be so conservative, to be almost like you let those rounds come to you. That's uh, it's interesting and it's helpful because, uh, you do often think, you know, a guy can win a corn fairy event, shooting 23 under hitting fairways and greens. You don't think that you think maybe that's that mentality of like, you got to get out here and it's a birdie fest and I got to
0: shoot at every pin and. Yeah. Especially not that week. Right. You know, right. you, you could expect it the the final couple of weeks on those tough golf courses that he talked about, um. But I, I do think that he's well-positioned. Like He's learned a lot about himself and his game. And I think Kevin Kisner said it once. It's a great quote. He said, they pay a lot of money for 20th out here. and But learning that is, is tough. I remember my first year, I made a ton of cuts, 19 out of 25. But on the weekends, I was so gung-ho about making birdies and, and shooting four and five under par that I forgot to shoot one under. And instead I shot one or two over. And consequently I had a ton of 50 fifths, 60th, and those don't pay very much relatively speaking, but it's a, it's a learned trait out on the PGA tour. That 20th is okay. You make almost six figures, you get a ton of FedEx cup points. And those are the, the ways that you kind of, you're not treading water. You're moving up in the points standings, uh, and trying to get to that, you know, the playoffs, the tour championship, all that stuff. So I think, um, I think he's figured that part out. He probably did a couple years ago, but again, it's, uh, it, it's hard to go through that first or second year on tour. Uh, you just don't think like that. Unfortunately, that's what playing the corn Ferry tour does to a guy thinking if you don't shoot five under, you're getting lapped. And on the PGA tour, most weeks, it's not like that. Right. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, so uh, good on him for joining us. It went on way longer than I thought it would. It's awesome. It's, it's probably our longest interview yet, and uh, it's timely too. I love having guys write fresh off a, a great week and and headed back to the PJ Tour. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: no, a fascinating guy. He'd definitely be uh, always been rooting for him, but it'd be it's uh, interesting to chat with him and hear his mindset and and see how things play out this year. You know, like he got a bit of that reset and you get down to the corn ferry and actually appreciate being down there. And, um, and you can be down there a couple years, you know, and can be on, beyond your control. You can be down there for a few years playing well, kind of got lightning in a bottle that one week and then did what he had to do in the last week and bang, he's getting the, the upgrade. It'll be interesting to see with that mindset, how he plays next year.
0: Yeah. Like in most, uh, in most sports, if you're there or have the ability to get there, the rest is just attitude and uh sounds like he's got the right one yeah all right that'll do it for us at the red rooster golf podcast thanks so much for joining us for this episode for my partner carrie moher i am brad fritch we'll see you again soon until then tea it high let it fly and cock-a-doodle-doo